Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. But if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 22 is where we're going to be, and so I invite you to turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to grab one. Uh, you can borrow it or keep it as you have need. And uh, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up um, that app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures and sermon notes and uh, other important information. It is all, it's all there, okay? <clears throat> so if you have been here um, for a while, uh, you know that off and on, we have kind of journeyed through the book of Acts. And over the next, um, let's say, five or six weeks, we're going to kind of wrap this journey, uh, wrap this journey up. It's been a good journey. Um, if you're keeping score at home, this is part 45 of the series. Now, granted, it's 28 chapters long, people, all right? So let's just... Let's, let's give space there, but that we have um, kind of uh, gone through the text and then paused and then gone through the text and paused, and we're going to uh, finish up over these next uh, few weeks. And so just catching us up on what all has happened, God has established the church. Um, it has spread like wildfire throughout the known world at the time, the Roman Empire in the first century. Um, there has been uh, significant uh, dispersion of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and along with that, significant suffering of God's people along the way. And the more that they suffered and were persecuted, the more the gospel spread. And it's, uh, it's, it's a profound impact in the first century. And so uh, the first, uh, let's say, several chapters of the book really kind of focus on Peter, and then the last several chapters of the book of Acts focus on Paul. And we're kind of in uh, the, the, the climactic portion of, of uh, Paul's story as it leads um, to the end of the book. And so what has happened uh, to this point is Paul has um, preached the gospel. He's gone on three different missionary journeys. He's preached the gospel everywhere, established these churches. Uh, he has now bringing back and offering to the saints in Jerusalem there who have undergone some, uh, some pretty rough circumstantial times. And so he has uh, done that. And uh, uh, he's gone to the temple and uh, people have said, oh, oh, we see you violating the temple. We know you're a Jew, but you brought some Gentiles in here. And so there has been a, a boiling uproar um, here in Jerusalem. Paul gets arrested. Um, he's drugged, I mean, rescued from the crowd by the Romans, the centurions there, and he's drugged kind of up the stairs. And he turns to the, the uh, guard and he says, hey, let me, just, let me just talk to the crowd for just a second. And that's actually uh, where we pick this up in Acts chapter uh, 21. Uh, look at verse 40. Okay, so the verse before chapter the chapter break in chapter 22. And when he, the, the centurion there, the guard, had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps that he had just been unceremoniously drug up, uh, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. So in, in their own language. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language... They became even more quiet and then he spoke. And we'll talk about kind of what he said here in just a second. But everybody, have this picture in your mind. You've got this raging group of people out there. Paul is rescued by the soldiers, drug up the stairs. He's like, hey, let me talk to them. They're like, you're crazy. He goes, no, no, no. And then he pulls a Jedi mind trick and does this magic thing with his hand. And they go quiet. And then he starts speaking 
their language. And so today we're talking about um, the story that he tells, and we're going to look at how his story and our story aren't necessarily as different as you may think that they are. And so really this focus um, uh, for today, and even I think for the next couple of weeks, is going to be about you telling your story. You have a story to tell, and this is about you telling your story. And so I'm so grateful uh, uh, I was sitting over there on the front row, uh, listening to you sing uh, that, that last song, listening to you sing the last couple of songs, and, and listening to you kind of tell your story. You didn't know that you were telling your story, but really, those songs reflect all of our stories. And so, um, it, was, it was encouraging to me. And that, that's what I want to say to you, is that when we tell our story, not only does it encourage uh, those who follow Christ around us, but also it's a profound witness. And so, I, I want to uh, just put this graphic before you one more time here. Um, We talk about around here that this is kind of our strategy for helping the gospel go forth. We start with our culture of invitation that uh, anybody and everybody can invite people to church and people still just in our day and age still have a positive response to that personal invitation. So do you go to church anywhere regularly? Uh, Well, no, not really. Um, And, and, you know, you kind of invite them. Uh, We'd love for you to join us. And then that second tier, that's, that's for everybody. That second tier is for people who can engage in conversation. It's not just a quick thing at the gas pump or the checkout line or whatever, but it's a, it's a, a, a place where you can engage in conversation, maybe over a cup of coffee or standing out in the front yard or at the soccer field or wherever. You get an opportunity to tell your story, and that's really kind of where we're focused right now. Uh, and then, uh, Lord willing, that then opens up the door for you to say something like, hey, but my story only makes sense if you understand God's story. And you share the gospel, that he has pursued a broken world and the people in it, and he has uh, uh, sent Jesus to die in our place and for our sins, taking on all the, the shame and sin and pain and all the stuff that comes with this brokenness. He took it on himself, whereas we deserved it. And then he died in our place for our sins and rose again and gives life and freedom to everybody and forgiveness to everybody who puts their trust in him. So that's, that's kind of how we roll around here. And if you're still uh, new to church or been checking out church, uh, that, that's, that's, that is our story. That's the story that we want to rehearse and tell over and over and over again. We're kind of locked in uh, today on that middle tier. So uh, I just got four questions here for us to think about. Uh, and the first one is, uh, what language are you speaking? What language are you speaking? Did, did you notice here um, twice uh, Luke, the author of Acts, makes sure that we know that Paul is speaking a language that they understand. At the end of verse 40 in chapter 21, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Here you've got a group of people uh, uh, that are there. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them, what? In the, in the Hebrew language, their native tongue, their heart language, so to speak. So at 1130, I uh, don't know if you know this or not, uh, there, there's a, um, a Spanish church that meets in our chapel area. Um, some of them speak English, but you know what their heart language is? It's Spanish. And so Pastor Ray is going to get over there and he's going to preach lights out in Spanish to them. And, and, and they will hear it differently than if I walked in and said it in English. Everybody understands that, right? Everybody gets it. It's a, it's a heart language issue. So Paul is addressing them in their heart language. So this, what language are you speaking? As you tell your story, what language are you speaking? Are you speaking the heart language of the people that you're getting to engage with? And there's two notes of this. Number one, tone matters. Your tone matters. Did you see what he did in verse one? Brothers and fathers. What, what's he doing? 
He's inviting them in, right? He's, hey, brothers and fathers, hey, brothers and fathers, here, here, here. We're, we're kind of in this sort of thing together. So when I say tone matters, a couple of things. One, um, are you communicating? As you tell your story like Paul here, are you communicating in their heart language and, and that, that tone matters? Are you communicating though, uh, hey, I, it's not like I'm speaking to you from some place that's superior to you, right? In our day and age, humility goes a long, long way. Have you noticed this? And so for us to step into a conversation and to share our story and the tone of that be something like brothers and fathers. It says, I'm not better than you. I'm not better than you. My sto- this is just my story. I'm not better than you. So uh, another way that t- um, tone expresses itself uh, would be something like this. Um, uh, hey, we, you know, I, I see what's going on in your world. I see what's happening in your life. I hear what you're saying to me. And I just want you to know, I'm not sure we're all that different. Like we have some things in common here, brothers and fathers, right? We've got some things that are in common. Um, if, if tone matters, you, you want to be careful uh, with a couple of things. So it, um, b- because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you're, you're not wanting to communicate, uh, I, or excuse me, you are communicating, I'm not better than you. And because you want to communicate, hey, we've got some things in common. What you don't want to do is do the thing that some people do. They boomerang the conversation back to themselves so they can talk about themselves. Anybody ever have that moment where you're like, oh man, my day's really hard. Oh golly, I had a hard day last Tuesday. And you're like, what just happened here? The boomerang went out and came back. And, you know, I, so you, you don't want to do that, but you do want to um, look for the opportunity to tell your story without making it all about you. So your tone matters. And secondly, the content of what you say actually matters. Do you use religious words and so forth? I mean, do you, know, do you, do you wrap it up? Oh, I'm just hashtag so blessed or whatever. And you just, you don't want to be that person. You, you want to speak to them in their heart language. So I just say that tone matters and content matters. And, and, and here's the thing on that. When, when you think about our day and age and the culture that we live in, um, a quieter Saner voice often gains you a hearing because our culture is not quiet and frankly, it's not sane. And so when you combine these two, tone and content, um, they, they often gain you a hearing and that's exactly what happens at the end of verse two there. They became even more quiet. The hush kind of fell over the crowd. And, and you know, maybe you've been in these conversations before, but um, I had actually a couple of them this week uh, with people who are thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. And you just, I mean, you almost physically see them lean in a little bit. Oh, what? So what language are you speaking? That's, that's question number one. Question number two, who were you before Jesus? Who were you before Christ? Look at verse three. I'm a Jew. Paul's, Paul's speaking now. He's telling them. I'm a Jew born in, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. But brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way. Now, if you're a writer in your Bible, you're not sure what this way means. He's talking about the way of Jesus, this Christian movement. I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He was an equal opportunity persecutor. 
um, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So who were you before Jesus? Paul was, was it was pretty clear. He was corrupt, uh, and carnage followed him wherever he went. Are you with me on that? Like it just showed up. But Paul was corrupted, not, not in the sense of like he's taking bribes on the side, but like he is in the name of God doing things that God doesn't want done. Nobody's ever had that experience or been a part of that or had that come their way before, right? And so he is, his corruption and his carnage are evident. That's what he's telling. Now, here's the thing about that. I was thinking about this week in my own life. I'm like, yeah, Paul, you were such a mean guy. And you know, that little voice that pops up in your head every so often is like, hey, just how much different are you than him? I'm like, well, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. Uh, Have I ever trusted in my lineage? Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Have I ever trusted in my education? See, I mean, you know where this goes. I'm not sure that I'm that different. I'm not sure that I am that different than Paul. Um, and, And I'm not sure you are that different than Paul. And Paul, when he tells his story... We're going to see it here, and I, I, I want to, for us as a church family to embrace this, because it is so countercultural. When we answer the question, who were you before Christ? It may be that, our, that that section of our life was a painful section, but we'll watch Paul. He tells that part of his story as a story of failure, not pain. Our our world and our culture wants to tell their story as one of pain. But the truth is, is that their pain is a result of their failure. And so in in my life, in your life, in everybody's life, when when we tell that story, who were you apart from Christ, we tell that story as one of failure. That's how it is rightly represented. And so we, we see this is Paul. And so in our lives, we might not be that different than Paul. In our lives, though, it might not be, this is the second note here, it just might not be quite as evident as Paul. Like we may not be leading people back to Jerusalem in bonds or making sure that people get thrown into jail. But here's the question. And this is why it's important to tell it as failure and not just pain. When you, when you think about this, oh, well, you know, I kind of grew up around this whole, whatever it is. Who would you be without Jesus? Do you have a really good sense of that? Who would you be without Jesus? In other words, um, like where you have failed when you've been tempted, where you have failed when you've gone through trial, what have you tended toward? Like what, what, what things have you tended toward? How have you rejected? What was your trajectory? That, that, that's the mindset that we need to have in our minds when we think, who was I before Jesus? And who would I be without him? Do you have in your mind a really good sense of that? Who would you be without him? I, I know who I would be. I would be an externally focused religious weasel. Probably with a closet drinking problem. That's who I would be. How about you, though? Do, do you know who you would be apart from him. For some of you, it's very evident, like, oh yeah, oh, I know exactly who I would be. For some of you, though, you're like, hey, last time I really messed up, what did I tend toward? Well, that's probably who you would become 
apart from Jesus. So who were you before Christ? Okay, third question. How did Christ meet you? How did Christ meet you? Originally, I framed the question as, how did you meet Jesus? But the truth is, is that we weren't looking for him. He met us. Paul wasn't looking for him. Jesus met Paul in the same way we were looking for him, and Jesus met us. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Now, if you want to pick back up and read the original version of this story, it's Acts chapter 9. You can just make a note of that and follow follow up later. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not the church, me. So Jesus doesn't just say, oh, suffering is bad. He identifies with that suffering. Verse 8, and I answered, who are you, Lord? That's the right question when a bright light comes and knocks you off the horse that you're riding on. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me um, saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So how did Christ meet you? So for Paul, it, it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? I mean, he's riding along, going to Damascus, big bright light, psh, falls off the horse. He's like, ah, what's happening? Oh, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you... Excuse me, why are you persecuting me? Uh, last time I was persecuting somebody, it wasn't. Uh, who are you again? Jesus. Oh, okay. And then all starts to click for him, right? Pretty dramatic scene for Paul. So much so uh, that, that it was not only dramatic, but defining. Um, and, and the truth is, is, this is true for some of you listening. Like your life, when you speak about your story and how Christ met you, you may not have fallen off a horse, but you may have fallen off something. You, you may have, I mean, your life may have been black and all of a sudden it's white. Your, your world may have gone from like this to like this. I, I don't know, uh, for some of us, it is profoundly dramatic and, and it, is, it was defining for Paul and it was defining for all of us too. Um, and and I, I, I say that because um, I, I, just, I love this. I was thinking about this this week, and I love this, that throughout his letter, Paul, through all the letters of the New Testament, Paul writes these little bitty snippets, almost like, like, like summary statements of this story. I mean, throughout, I, I just pulled um, a few of them, but there's one or two or five in kind of every letter that he writes. There's these, these little bitty summaries, and I just want to rehearse several of them. Can we do that together? Uh, this one, uh, I just pulled from, uh, this, this is just several of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered of you, uh, to you as what was of first importance what I also received. And what was that? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's this little summary. Paul's on a horse, gets knocked over. Who are you, Lord? You Jesus of Nazareth. You're like, oh, man. Whew. I, I receive this now. And now what do I need to do? I need to, I need to pass it on. I need to do this. And this has happened in accordance with the scripture. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's another letter to the Corinthian church, um, ch chapter 4, verse 6, 2 Corinthians. For God said, God, for the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, which is funny in light of Paul getting knocked off the horse by 
light. Uh, God said, let light shine out of darkness. It's shone in our hearts uh, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's another little summary. Hey, I was on a horse. I got knocked off. I looked up. I saw light, and it was Jesus. He shone in my heart. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. This is in the little intro part of Galatians. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Just a little summary. Uh, and this, this next one, um, Philippians 2, uh, through uh, Jesus, uh, though in the form of God, did not consider equality with God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, right? But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, it says, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, there's a summary. Colossians chapter 1. I'm just, we're going to hit a couple more here on purpose. He has delivered us from, not form, I can't type. This, what, two weeks in a row this has happened? He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Think about that. I just... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, how Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, how you turn from God uh, to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Just summary, right? One, uh, one or two more, I think. This saying is trustworthy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This saying is trustworthy and, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. Like, you go pull the ticket, you know, in the thing so you can get your thing done. What? He's like, I'm number one. That's who I am. I'm the chief of the sinners. But I receive mercy for this reason, that, uh, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display perfect Patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, like, if Jesus can have mercy on me, the rest of you sinners in line behind me, Jesus can have mercy on you too. Last one, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. All throughout these letters, there's just these little things that are sprinkled. Why am I bringing this up? Because it was such a dramatic and defining moment for Paul that this just kind of flows out of him over and over again. He speaks about these things. He never got over it. But here's more than that. Listen, one of the uh, ways that I know that he never got over it is he kept rehearsing it, right? As he would write letters, what would he do? Oh, man, let me tell you about the good news. I, I got knocked off a horse with light, and uh, you know, Jesus said, Saved me, the chief of sinners. Um, he did not just stay in heaven and count equality with God, something to be grasped. But he took the uh, uh, he, uh, he took the form of a servant and he died on the cross for me. Or I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Over and over and over again, Paul rehearsed these, and that's one of the ways that I know he never got over it. Now, don't miss that. The more we rehearse these the more we will not get over it either. Not saying them by rote, but genuinely saying, hey, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. There's, there's some amazing grace right there. There's these 
there are moments when as we tell our story, and we talk about how Christ met us, the reason some people never get over it is because they do a good job of rehearsing it in their own lives. And frankly, church family, the more we tell our story about how Christ has met us, the more impact it will have not only on the folks that we're speaking to, but also on us. On us. How did Christ meet you? Now, um, let me say this also. For some, it's profoundly dramatic. I mean, there's this major shift. For others, it, uh, it doesn't have to be dramatic to be miraculous. Why is this important to say? Because some of us grew up around church and our worldview was shaped by the truths that we hear. And this is how we're supposed to grow up, right? I mean, this is how we're supposed to raise our kids um, and help them um, understand who God is. And, and there ought to come a point where it, it ought to sound a little bit like this, like, uh, man, it was just the most natural thing for me to believe in Jesus um, and, and to believe the thing because I just grew up with this worldview. And, and so when, when we get to that point, like we would say, yes, because of that worldview, it was the most natural thing for you to do. But let's not miss it that that's also a supernatural moment right there. Because we're not just talking about um, uh, uh, children or people who grew up around the church kind of embracing. Um, some, we're talking about somebody who was spiritually dead moving to spiritual life. That's a pretty big miracle. Are you with me on that? Like that, that's how the Bible talks about us is that spiritual death is ours naturally, no matter which worldview we grew up in. And then there comes a moment where we kind of get knocked off the horse, so to speak, where light comes in and, and our world has changed that we go from death to life. It doesn't have to be dramatic to still be miraculous. Um, last note here, as, as we're telling our story about how Christ met us, uh, just note here that others played a pretty significant role. Look at verse 12. And one Ananias, Paul's still talking here, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing by me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. And he, Ananias said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness to him, to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Others played a key role in that story. And that's one way um, to, to kind of wrap people in to say, hey, listen, and, and like others have influenced me. And furthermore, like I'm, you could be that other for somebody else. As you're sitting there over chips and salsa, talking about your story and how God has sustained you and how he's moved in you and how he's moved you from death to life and all of these kinds of things, you could be that for somebody else. It was a profound picture last night. Um, I, I saw one down of college football yesterday. One. One. And this, this was it. I was um, finishing up, uh, looking over the notes one more time. I just flipped on. Um, BYU was playing Tennessee. Anybody see the game last night? Uh, they went into overtime. Uh, and and um, in the, in the uh, last play that I saw... BYU gets the ball, hands it off. The running back kind of goes through the, between the tackles there, in there. And he's maybe three or four yards out, but he's still churning. And, you know, they all kind of pile up 
right? They kind of pile up and you're expecting the referee to blow the whistle at any point. But he didn't blow because the guy was still churning. And all of a sudden, three or four of them big boys from the BYU line like got behind him. We're like, you know, like this. And he, with the ball, while still on his feet, crossed the goal line, which in college football is touchdown. They win the game. Tennessee is 0-2. I don't know if that's good or bad for you. I just recognizing that that's the case. Yeah, it just is. Okay. What if you and your story, what if you're sitting down with someone and you're watching God at work in their lives and they're kind of churning really close to the goal line? What if you sharing your story with them, speaking up, telling your story, and talking about how Christ has met you is the spiritual version of linemen coming up behind and going, what if you are that for somebody else, like somebody else was that for you, like Ananias was for Paul? That's quite the invitation. I mean, that, that's quite the inspiration even. Like, that beckons me. Hey, come on. Let's, let's find somewhere to tell this story this week. Well, what if, what if that's the moment that they, they cross the line, so to speak, that God really does open up their eyes and you play a key role in that? Ananias was the bridge for the truth to come into Paul's life. And you may very well be the bridge for the truth to come into somebody else's life. Last, last thing, quickly. So, the, the last question is, then what has changed? So, we've talked about, are you speaking their language? Um, who were you before Christ? <clears throat> Excuse me, how did Christ meet you? And then what has changed? Look at verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem um, and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. That's all from uh, chapter 7 there in Acts. He said, go away, for I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Okay, and so um, what has changed in you? And oftentimes, this is, this is the most, uh, th- this is where your story has the most impact, where you talk about, oh, well, I once was like this, but now I'm like this. I once was kind of this way, and now I'm this way. I once was kind of prone to these things, and now I'm in pursuit of these other things. This is where your story has impact. You think, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what all has changed in me. I'm not sure I'm locked in enough to some of these things. Well, it may be worthwhile asking those who are closest to you. Ask your spouse, ask your kids, those kind of things. So where will you get some feedback on what has changed? But if not, here's just a couple of questions uh, for you to ponder. Uh, Uh, Number one, like, how are you relating to God? How are you relating to him right now? How are you relating to Jesus? Verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. Like, how are you relating to him right now? Paul's there. He's just going to pray. Okay, what's going on in that relationship right this second? Um, Then in verse 18, I, I, and saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem. So, 
where has God said lately? Where, where, where has God said something to you um, or challenged you or guided you? Like that, that's, a, that's a worthwhile question. What has he said that has challenged you or guided you lately? Because if God's only saying the same things, uh, let me say it this way. If God only says the things that I want to hear, then I'm not sure that may be God. Are you with me on this? Like there, there ought to be moments where we look and read the Bible and hear God speak to us through the Bible. And you're like, uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. There ought to be those moments. Where, where has he challenged you? Where has he guided you? Um, another place, like where has he helped you? So in Paul's particular case, he's, uh, uh, Jesus is trying to get him out of Jerusalem, right? Where has he helped you? How has he helped you? How, how has he helped you wrestle with uh, some of the things that you're struggling with? With uh, your sin, with your addiction, with your shame, uh, with your lack, uh, with whatever it is. Where, where has he helped you with that? Where has he helped you? Uh, and then the last question, um, how or where has he um, given you a purpose or re- renewed a sense of purpose? This is the last one in verse 21. Go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Where has he given you a purpose or renewed your purpose? Those, those would be questions to ponder as you think about what has changed in your life. Now, I'm going to give you this warning and we're going to pray. Verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Because he said, I'm going to send you away to the Gentiles. So, your story may impact people in a negative way. Like, you just got to know. But it's still your story to tell. And I think you should. We should be people who tell our story. And sometimes people will get all riled up about this. Oh, I can't believe it. It's still our story to tell. And so, I, I I think what... God wants from us, as we think about as a church family, as we think about um, the church plant in 2021 that we're looking at and all the things that are out there for us, as we think about a growing population in our area who needs to know Jesus, they're not growing more and more uh, uh, religious. They're growing less and less religious. So uh, these people need Jesus. What is going to be a key component of that? It's going to be us telling our story. And so I want you to think, as we're going to get ready to pray, I want you to think about where in your week this might happen. Who are you going to encounter this week? What are the, what are the normal rhythms that are going to put you in the normal places this week? And then how might God open up a door for you to speak their language, talk about who you were before Jesus, how Jesus met you, and what, is, what he has changed in you in light of that?